It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to be angry. We need to start reflecting and calling out these emotions. We don't need to be feeling guilt about how we feel. All of those things that we want children to feel, we've got to be able to do that too. But we're so busy trying to be the perfect the perfect teacher. That's Stephanie Wicker. I'm your host, Jared Lestrange, and you're listening to episode 43 of the Super Dad Show. Stephanie Wicker is a child behavior expert, parenting educator, counselor, and speaker who has successfully guided families through early childhood for over 15 years. Through her experience with private consultancy and as a preschool teacher and special needs therapist, she has worked across many facets of early childhood behavior. Stephanie's evidence-based programs are grounded in behavioral science and her passion for relational frame theory, acceptance and commitment therapy, and developmental psychology all play a big role in her programs. So let's get the first uh, thing out of the way. I have no idea what relational frame therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy are and how they relate to parents. So to answer that question for starters, we welcome to the Super Dad Show, Stephanie Wicker. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, great question to start with. <laughs> I think the easiest way to put this, um, so acceptance and commitment therapy, we have to kind of backtrack a little bit and look at the different therapies that we use when it comes to our behavior and our decision making. Now, acceptance and commitment therapy is essentially embracing the idea that when we accept our emotions for what they are. And when we allow ourselves to feel and express those emotions, then that is what empowers us to make the following decision. So, so often what we do is we make decisions completely based on the emotions and the feelings that we have. Mm -hmm. And really what we're doing is we're almost like putting our emotions in the driver's seat and they're in control of all of our decisions now, right? They're, they're making, um, you know, all of our behaviors are going to be a reaction now. They're going to be a mm. result of how we're feeling. And it feels like we don't have any control. So how often do we regret things? How often do we say like, oh, I wish I hadn't yelled at my kids? Or how often do we say like, I wish I hadn't sent that angry text message? <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so we live in regret. And the reason that that is, is because we're allowing our emotions and our feelings to make the bulk of our decisions. So acceptance and commitment therapy, relational frame theory, all of that is understanding how our emotions are triggered from our thoughts and how those directly affect our behaviors and our decisions. And the same thing is true with our kids. Now, so often when children engage in emotional behaviors, we respond with, you know, uh, why did you do that? Why did you push your brother? Mm, you know, you mm. know not to do that. Go to your room. Mm. Uh, so we respond with a correction. We respond with maybe even shaming them a bit for that decision that they've made. Mm. However, when we can see beyond the behavior and realize that there's an emotional trigger, right? Then that highlights the child's need in the moment. It's the same thing for adults all of our decisions are going to have an emotional factor to it. And once we can understand that, then we can see beyond the action and we can see what actually needs support. And what usually Mm. needs support is our child's ability to emotionally regulate. Mm. And once we can regulate how we think about things, how we feel about things, then that is going to impact the behavior. And that's how I bring ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy. That's how I bring that into families' homes through emotional coaching. So I'm essentially trying to almost break the behavior management wheel, (laughs) if you will, Um, you know, break up that pattern a little bit that we're kind of all stuck in on that cycle of our child engages in a challenging behavior. 
and then we respond with a punishment or a correction, then the child feels defensive, maybe becomes aggressive or defiant. Mm -hmm. That leads to a power struggle, which ultimately is going to lead to regret. So I try to break that cycle by introducing emotional coaching. Beautiful. Hopefully that hopefully that answers your question. It, it does, <laughs> it does. And look, I know that I find that the more I learn about the reason behind my children's behavior, the better I am beginning to act, not react to the needs of my kids because I'm seeing them as needs, legitimate needs that they have. And, and you know, that, that, um, that whole developmental stage that they're in and really just learning to, um, to deal with the world around them. Um, so one of the things that you know, it's a simple way that you teach parents about brain development is through a concept you explain using your hand. You also talk about flipping our lid. Can you share this yeah. easy way of explaining our child's thoughts and corresponding behaviors with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So that's the hand model. So um, basically what that is, because we don't have a visual here, <laughs> um, basically what's imagine. Happening, yeah, that's right. Just picture your hands. <laughs> um, so essentially what the hand model does is it shows parents and educators, whoever's viewing the video, it mm-hmm. shows them what is happening in your child's emotional brain. Mm-hmm. And that's important to understand because we tend to think that behavior is intentional, mm-hmm. that children are intentionally trying to get on our nerves, you know, or, or children are choosing to be difficult. Mm-hmm. But when we understand what is happening in their emotional brains, then we can see that this is, this is not a choice. You know, um, so the hand model is a wonderful way of explaining stressors in the brain. So in health psychology, a stressor is anything that interrupts the expectations of the brain. The moment that our brain experiences a stressor, for example, that could be like spilling coffee on your shirt. Mm-hmm. I use this example a lot because I drink a lot of coffee and I <laughs> spill a lot of coffee. <laughs> that we have spilled coffee on our shirt. So that's, that's a stressor. We weren't expecting, right? So now we have an emotional reaction. We might get upset. We might get flustered. Now, as adults, we have a fully developed brain. We're pretty reasonable, right? Um, and we know that we can change our shirt. We can put it in the washing machine. We can, get, we can still get to work on time. We can solve that problem. Okay, with children, because their prefrontal cortex, that's where we do all of our reasoning and problem solving, their pre- prefrontal cortex is underdeveloped compared to ours. Mm-hmm. That means that their ability to solve that simple problem becomes a lot harder. It takes a lot more work for them. So a stressor that might seem like something small, something even silly, is going to trigger their emotional brain. Mm-hmm. And their emotional brain, that's where we have all of our, you know, our feelings of discouragement. That's where we become reactive. And often that triggers the brainstem leading to fight or freeze responses. We're talking about tantrums, defiance, even aggression. All of those behaviors are your child struggling with an emotional stressor. Mm. And that's what I love about the hand analogy is it's a beautiful visual. I wish I could show your listeners. Okay. So (laughs) just for our listeners, let's see if we can explain it. So I'm holding up my hand. Yeah. Yeah, I'm holding up my hand. You talk about um, you've got your brain stem, which is your wrist. Okay. Then you've got your hand and you wrap your thumb over um, onto the middle of your palm. And then what is that? This is the midbrain. So your thumb. So your thumb is your midbrain wrapped across your hand. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's your midbrain. That's where you have all of your feelings of emotions and past discouragement. Now, when you flip your fingers over to the front, so now you're making. Closing your hand up over the thumb. 
Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. So those fingers in the front, that represents your prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. That's where you do all of your reasoning, your problem solving, executive functioning skills, all take yep. place in the front of the brain. Mm-hmm. So when a stressor comes in, your fingers go up and you flip your lid. And that means okay. that your thumb comes to the front now. Your sure. thumb, your midbrain comes to the forward mm-hmm. and it's now making all of your decisions. Mm-hmm. So now your emotional brain, your primal brain is taking over. And, and that's where we, you, know, you can see how close it is to the brainstem. So yeah. that's why it's going to be triggering a signal to the brainstem that leads you to your fight and flight response modes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got it. Once we can kind of picture what's happening in the brain, mm. it, it allows us to separate our child mm. from the behavior that is so difficult for us yep. and see beyond it and see that there's an emotional need. Mm. And that's really important because I think that so often when we go into these challenges with kids, you know, they're being defiant, they're not listening, maybe they're fighting amongst each other. You know, as soon as we experience those challenges, what we tend to do is take them personal, mm. you know, or, or, or think we're to blame, mm. you know, and, uh, or the child is to blame, mm. right? So, you know, so are, they're a problem child or, or am I dropping the ball? Am I a bad parent? But in actuality, none of those things are true. Those are those are our own definitions. Those mm. are you know that's that's how we translate the behavior. Yep. So that's why I love these brain analogies because you can see there's so much more going on mm. under the picture. Like yeah, I've got to tell you though, Stephanie, I had an experience one day, and I don't even remember using these words with my child. This was a this was a two year old. Okay. And, um, and we've all heard the, the saying, you know, stop pushing my buttons. So I woke up one day to my two-year-old sitting on top of my chest, pressing my forehead. <laughs> I said, Sophie, what are you doing? She said, I'm pushing your buttons, daddy. <laughs> so I don't know where you pick that up from, but sometimes they do actually push our buttons or our forehead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Too. And you know what? Children actually do learn where those buttons are. They mm. really do. And they do push them. They do push those buttons. And I think that that's, if you think about it, that's one of the quickest, like most guaranteed ways to create a connection, whether, you know, whether it feels good or it's uncomfortable for us, either way, it's still a connection. Um, and yeah. I think that that's why children actually do learn those triggers rather quickly. So she's yeah. very hard. I like yeah. that. <laughs> it's very cute. Yeah. Now I spoke on a little podcast. I started with my kids the other day about respect and, you know, my aim was to teach them respect and about obedience for, you know, for mum and dad, because we've been around a lot longer than them. And sometimes they think that they're right but um you know it's important to actually listen to mum and dad and mm. have respect for themselves as well and you know and respect for others you know so and everything that that meant um i think that when it comes to the disobedience and the defiance and the aggression that sometimes gets you know triggered in my kids towards their siblings for example and and you know towards us the the defiance um you know because respect is such a high value of mine, um, it really, yeah, really irritates me. And so, I mean, I guess my question to you is why is staying calm so hard sometimes? And can we truly master regulating our own big emotional reaction to children's defiance and tantrums? Yes. Okay. That's a great question. So same as with our kids, 
We want to be looking at what's happening in our emotional brains. We want to understand why it's so hard to stay calm when, like you said before, when children are just really bent on pushing those buttons. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the most important thing to realize is that the brain's number one job is to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. That's, That's what it's all about. That's what it's trying to do. Now, as soon as it feels like it's not safe, as soon as it feels like it's not in control, then it goes into a defensive state. Mm. And that means that it's now going to be amplifying problems. And you you can think about like, you know, a thousand years ago, a couple thousand years ago, when we were, you know, living, you know, in tents and maybe we heard something in the woods, right? So our brain went into a reactive state because it felt like there could be danger. Mm-hmm. So what happens? Our our senses, right? They they amplify. So yeah. we hear everything. We see everything that has a potential danger. So notice that as soon as you're triggered by your kids, all of a sudden you're realizing that the house is messy. You know, there's dirty dishes in the <laughs> sink. My kids are fighting mm-hmm. in the other room. There's a dirty nappy on the floor. Everything that is a potential problem becomes amplified. And what might have started out as a small annoyance now seems insurmountable. So our emotions escalate as we start to look for those dangers. And that's just natural brain processes. So once we understand that feeling frustrated, feeling overwhelmed, (laughs) feeling annoyed, all of those things are natural. Mm. And I think what we tend to do is we have those feelings and we go, oh, I shouldn't feel that way. So we try to push it away. When in actuality, it's natural to be thinking that way. It's natural to be feeling that way. And until until we are willing to embrace it, until we're willing to define it, yes, I'm I'm annoyed right now. (laughs) This is really hard. Mm -hmm. Until we're able to acknowledge that, Mm. it's just going to be harder and harder and harder. It's going to continue to escalate. And what's really cool about self-regulation is that the process of remaining calm can only begin when we call out our emotions. Mm. And I constantly tell parents this. If you are busy feeling guilty about something, then that means that we need to start reflecting and calling out these emotions because Mm. we don't need to be feeling guilt about how we feel. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be hurt. It's Mm. okay to be angry. Mm. All of those things that we want children to feel, we've got to be able to do that too. And sometimes I ask me why. But we're so busy trying to be the perfect parent, the perfect teacher, um, that we try to avoid those feelings. So anyway, so I encourage people to embrace them rather than avoid them. And then the Mm. brain will kick in and do the rest of it for you. And that's what it means to be an emotional coach, isn't it? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Teaching our kids it's okay to feel those emotions um, and uh, that it's for us to kind of be the role model of how to regulate those emotions that, that the strength of those emotions that we sometimes see rise up in our kids and we feel it too, you know? Yeah, definitely. I love that. Now, um, we all learn to accept that the secret to success is failure. God knows we have enough failures in life, but Mm. it's always about taking that lesson and actually living with that wisdom moving forward, isn't it? So, you know, one of the things that I know you love to talk about is how to teach a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. How can we best go about teaching our kids to deal with failure and adopt that growth mindset? Yes. So, so much of it is what we just explored and it's our own ability to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Because think about how much we teach through modeling. Now, modeling isn't 
everything. It's not the entire answer, but it's a big part of it. Mm, it's a mm. really big part of it. So mm. once we are able to practice resilience, once we yep. are able to practice a growth mindset in and of ourselves, yep. then and only then can we do it with our kids. Now, what I try to do is, so there's a lot of different ways that we can do this. Um, I think one of the most powerful ways is, like I said, is modeling. But the next way is to simply provide opportunity. Mm. How often do we jump in uh, before our kids get, you know, that experience of maybe they're going to fall off the couch or, <laughs> you know, or, or maybe they're going to make some mm-hmm. kind of error in their homework. And yeah. Yeah. So um, natural consequences, allowing it. them to experience that. Yeah. That's yeah. it. I think mm. so much of of what we learn is going to be through experience. And if Mm -hmm. we have this kind of approach to things where I don't want my child to ever experience any kind of pain, I don't want them to feel discomfort. I don't want them to experience failure. Then guess what? When the time comes, they do experience it. They are going to struggle. Mm -hmm. So first we model it. Then we allow space for it. And there's a lot of ways that we can do this. Even, Mm -hmm. Even sometimes when we see our child engaging in something that could be risky, you know, even just biting your tongue for five more seconds, like <laughs> start small, you know, even, yeah. even just, okay, I'm just going to give them a second, let them see what happens. Let's mm. let, let them experience it. Mm. And I know that that's really hard sometimes, but mm. even when we start to just monitor our reactions, that can go a long way. Yeah. Um, and then of course, there's going to be conversations, you know, um, having meaningful conversations with children around risk taking, Mm -hmm. um, and reframing. I think reframing is probably one of the most powerful things that we can do because yes, failure is hard. It is, you know, no, nobody wants to fail at stuff. You know, it doesn't feel good. It makes us really uncomfortable. And we, the chances of us taking a risk again, after we have felt the pain of failure, um, right? It goes down, doesn't it? Mm. So reframing is really important. So how can we reflect on the failures that we've experienced? What can we learn from them? You know, what can we do next time? So having meaningful conversations is like the third part of teaching your children a growth mindset. So Mm -hmm. it's really three big things. So first we model it, then we allow for the space, and then we have meaningful conversations. And as you can see, all three of those, we can explore for days. (laughs) And you know, that's exactly, so my definition of a super dad is um, not someone who's perfect, but someone who's striving to become the best version of themselves by adopting a growth mindset. And I spoke to you a little bit at the start about this, uh, this new super dad leadership program and these connect groups weekly. And that is the big thing is actually empowering the conversation to always come at it with, I experienced this. This is how it made me feel. This is what I learned. And this is how I'm going to deal with it moving forward. Yes. You know, um, or this is what I need to do some study into in order to have better strategies and feel more prepared for it next time. So, yeah, I love that. I love that growth mindset. Yes, I absolutely love that. And what's so cool is you can take those strategies that you teach dads mm-hmm. and we can actually break them down for kids as well. So we yeah. do three, there's a three-step strategy that I teach all of my emotional coaching clients. Mm-hmm. And the first one is defining how we feel, you know, mm-hmm. you know uh, like a daily check-in. How are mm-hmm. you doing today? How do you feel about this? How do you feel about the decisions you've made today? And we encourage children to check in and it's a safe space. They can say anything they want, express Mm -hmm. yourself fully. So a very safe space for them to check in. Then the next section, so we have three sections for them to fill in. The next section is how do I want to feel? 
Mm. You know, you know, how do, how do I want to react to these situations? Um, and I'll, I'll give you an example at the end. And then the third one is what am I going to do about it? Mm-hmm. So, um, so for example, I got off the phone this morning with a mom and she was talking about her six-year-old daughter who was really struggling at school because I guess earlier this week, um, some of her friends decided they didn't want to play with her. And she, she came home to mom and she was like, everyone hates me. Now, for a mom to hear her six-year-old daughter saying that, you know, my friends hate me, that's, that's heartbreaking, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. So, so immediately I was like, all right, let's put together a plan so we can support her through this. Now, obviously, sometimes our temptation is to say something like, no, 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 they don't hate you. They don't hate you. Um, you shouldn't say things like that. I encouraged her when, when children say things that sound really heartbreaking to us, simply validate. I can see that this is hard. Do you want to cuddle? Do you want to talk about it? That's it. <laughs> you know, when they're emotional, simply validate and give them a safe space. Yeah, yeah. When they're ready, then we can move on to this process of actually coaching them. Mm. So we go through, you know, how did you feel today? You know, um, what did that look like? What decisions did you make? You know, basically mm. very objective. You know, what is it, what does it look like to feel that way? And then the second one is, you know, how did you want to feel? What did you want to happen? Right. And then the third step is how do we make that happen? What are the steps that we can take? So we go through solutions. Yep. Um, so, so that's what I was coaching her through this morning during our call. And it resembles what you're talking about with your dad. Mm. So it's super mm. cool that we're using the same strategies with mm. kids. Yeah. And what I'm hearing is that, um, oh, gosh, something that I have had to learn as well is that I can't save anyone who doesn't want to help themselves, who isn't ready to be helped, who isn't actually asking for help. Um, and it's the same with our kids, isn't it? No, kids want to be independent. They want to make mistakes sometimes, but we're too quick to jump in and save them. Yes. And I think the reason that, um, that this is so hard is because when, when kids are acting out, that's when we want to give them solutions, right? When, Mm. when everything's going bad, (laughs) but here's the thing is when a child is engaging in difficult behaviors, they're in a, an emotionally heightened state. Mm-hmm. So, so they're using their emotional brain to make decisions. Yep. Now we dive into the situation with a logical brain and we're like, let's solve this for you. If you did this, everything would be easier. I promise. Mm. Well, guess what? Their emotional brain is not ready mm. for logic. Yep. They're not ready for a solution. Mm. And I'm the same way. I am 35 years old and I'm the same way. If I'm complaining to my husband, the last thing I want is for him to fix it. Just listen to me. <laughs> Let me just want to be heard and understood. Because yes. mm. we're so quick to fix their problems yeah. or to help them find solutions. But in actuality, mm. what an emotional brain needs more than anything is a bridge. A mm. bridge that will, you know, connect them to a logical brain. But that's mm. a process. Yep. So what I encourage families to do, even educators as well, if a child is in the heat of the moment. You know, you know, they're, they're acting out, they're defiant, they're upset, you know, mm. whatever it is, whatever that challenge is, and it can always look different, right? Um, the first thing we need to do is practice a willingness to feel how they feel. Mm. Mm. Once we go into those emotional situations mm. with the willingness to meet them where they're at, mm. then and only then can we create a bridge for them to cross. Mm. But so often we dive in with our logic. Yeah. And our, our, our yep. solution to the problem. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Uh, well, I, I guess a good coach, um, assists the client 
or the child to come to their own solution. So it's almost like, you know, what could you have done better next time? I don't know. Well, if you did know, what would it be? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you can actually use their feelings to come up with those solutions. Yeah. So maybe, maybe saying, what should you do next time is a big jump for where they're at. Mm. How about, how do you want to feel? How do you, how do you want to feel next time? Yep. You know, because we can follow our emotions and mm. those will actually fill in the blanks of the solution to get to that. emotion. Essentially that's what a growth mindset is though, isn't it? Mm. Um, is that ability to be in a struggle and to be able to see beyond it to a potential positive outcome. Yep. And once we can find, okay, what's that positive outcome? Your brain will fill in the gap. And kids are so good at this. They are so creative. We've just got to kind of navigate those emotions a little bit. Mm -hmm. And if we say something like, what can we do next time? They might just shrug their shoulders. That might be asking a bit much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yep. if instead we say something like, um, how do you want to feel? Mm. Oh yeah, I agree. I, I want to feel happier too. Well, mm. what makes you feel happy? Yes, the wiggles makes me feel happy. Should we go turn some music on? So, so now we've just managed to help them find a solution that's yep. more intrinsic because they came up with it. But you can see how we kind of had to navigate them a little bit mm. based on their emotion rather than mm. the action. I hope yeah. that makes sense. No, that's absolute mm. gold, Steph. Mm. Well done. Um, what are your top five family values and why? Oh my goodness. <laughs> five family values. Um, yeah. I don't something, know. something I've been doing a lot of thought on. So how about I share yeah. mine and then you can tell me if you've got some different All ones. Right, yeah. All right. So, um, so I told you we've got our little podcast with my kids. So we've sat down at the table. We have talked about kindness and kindness to them went um, kindness is helping. Kindness is sharing. Kindness is being considerate. We talked about ways that we already show kindness for each other um, and then ways that we can, um, you know, show kindness for each other in the future. So thinking about ways to be nice and do nice things. And um, so, yeah, I like that. Um, I and then that. we have honesty and mm -hmm. honesty was about telling the truth and getting into the habit of telling the truth because it's not a good thing to get into the habit of telling lies mm. and, um, and that sometimes telling the truth is hard, but it's really important. Mm. Um, and then we talked about respect. And so, you know, respect was respect for elders, respect for ourselves, respect for others. Um, and then courage. I really like courage because mm. courage comes with resilience as well, which is one of my favorite words. Um, and, you know, adopting that courageous um, mindset of, okay, that was really hard. I feel like giving up, but I know that there is benefit to continuing. And, and, and also, you know, it's like um, uh, courage is being able to say no to peer pressure as well, which I think is mm -hmm. something really important to teach our kids from an early age. Yes. And then there's discipline and discipline for me um, ties it all together because we need to actually be really disciplined to be good people, even when it's hard. Mm. Um, and there's so much that can be unpacked with that word with kids. So yes. they are my top five, um, kindness, I'm honesty, loving. respect, courage, and discipline. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, thank you for giving me a little bit more. <laughs> Those are amazing. I think that, um, the three areas that I focus on, so sorry, it's not five. Um, but there are three <laughs> four areas that I look at, which are yeah. essentially the building blocks for raising resilience. Mm -hmm. Um, and I look at self-esteem, 
I look at self-control nice. and, and then I look at self-soothing. So when we, when we consider these three skill sets, what we'll find is they really encompass all those little things that you're talking about, you know, mm. uh, gratitude, respect, um, you know, courage, like you said, all of those things come from these intrinsic skills. Mm. Um, so like, for example, let's look at self-esteem for a second. Self, there's a lot of misconceptions around self-esteem. We think that it means that we love ourselves. You know, there is so much more going on to self-esteem than self-love. Yes. Mm. Self-love is a byproduct and it's wonderful, but that's not really what self-esteem is all about. Self-esteem is having that intrinsic sense of who am I? that sense of self, because when we know who we are, what our significance is, Mm. what our role is, what our responsibilities are, when we have that clear sense of this is who I am, Mm -hmm. then that's almost like planting roots in the ground. So now we have these roots in the ground and we become a tree, right? Mm. So now problems come challenges arise. That's the wind. So the wind is blowing us. And sure, you know, we're just human. We're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to sway back and forth in the wind. But we don't lose who we are Mm, because mm. who we are is rooted in the ground. Mm. And that's what self-esteem is. I love this analogy because to me, like that is what I want to be passing on to kids Mm. is that ability to know that I'm not going to lose myself. And when we fear losing ourselves that's that's when we make bad decisions mm. that's when we do things that we regret later you know mm. maybe having uh, relationships with people that we know aren't the best for us you know maybe we want our kids to have friends who maybe they're not bullies right we want kids who to be friends with kids who stand up to bullies right or yep. or children who you know maybe aren't smoking behind the school <laughs> right? Mm. right we want we want to know mm. that we can our children to make good decisions about who they're going to hang out with. Mm -hmm. But what often happens is that when children don't have that intrinsic sense of self, they go into relationships with fear. I don't want to, I don't want to lose myself. I don't want to lose who I am. So what do they do? They try to define who they are through other people, through actions, through extrinsic values rather than intrinsic. Mm -hmm. And that's when things become murky. That's when things become difficult. So you can teach self-esteem as early as 14 months, we can start teaching this stuff. And when we do, we can have that ability to see the future, knowing that they're going to make good decisions. Yeah. I can trust my child to, to make good decisions with their high school friends because I've been teaching them from a young age. This is who you are. This is your role, helping them navigate those big questions. <clears throat> and which kind of leads me to the next thing is that you know, every few years or so, we go through that question, that sense of who am I, you know, that identity crisis that all children go through, but they don't know how to communicate it. Mm. And that's why these types of core values that you're talking about are essential because you are basically helping them answer those important questions that Mm. they do not Mm. know how to ask. Mm. And instead they show up as challenging behaviors. And unfortunately, when kids engage in challenging behaviors, we get emotional and then we engage in challenging behaviors back, right? And it becomes a bit of a mess. But by going into it knowing that these questions are going to come to the surface, but they're not going to come out clear. We have to be able to see beyond the behavior mm. and understand the question that our child is asking or the mm. need that is arising. And then and only then can we give them those skills of 
self-esteem, intrinsic motivation, self-control, all of those things that lead to resilient kids, which is basically all the stuff that you're talking about. It's just, you have a beautiful, I love the, you know, the five values and everything. It's, it's an easier way of explaining it to kids. That's for sure. Okay. Mm. Awesome. Very good. Now, the other thing, I read an article where you shared your top 10 ways to make the most of family time. Can you share some of these with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think it's really important because so many parents, especially moms, oh Mm. my goodness, uh, a lot of guilt you know, feeling a lot of guilt about going back to work or about putting kids in daycare a couple days. So, you know, we can get our hair done. You know, there's a lot of guilt around how much time we're spending as Mm. a family. Mm. And what tends to happen is we think all of these challenging behaviors are arising. It must be because I'm not spending enough time with my kids. And then the self-blame kicks in, right? So this is a pattern that I see with a lot of my families. And the reason I wrote this article is because I really wanted to highlight the significance behind the quality of the time that we spend. Absolutely. And I think that because we have so much guilt on ourselves with, do I have enough time with my children? When we focus on just a few core things, then we can feel a lot more confident knowing Mm. that they're getting what they need from us, even Mm. in a short window of time. Mm. Um, So one of the first things that I look at is simply making the time. So we all have the same amount of hours in the day. But often we prioritize things differently and that can lead to feeling like, oh, I just, I don't have enough time. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, Especially if we think that kids need hours and hours and hours every day of our Mm. attention, undivided attention. Um, It's just not manageable. It's not practical. Nobody can maintain that. So what I've done is I break it down into 10 minute blocks. If you can just dedicate a 10 minute window to spending quality time with your kids, then you are going to find that you can make connections in that amount of time that are so mm. amazing and effective. Mm. And there's a few things that we can do. One of the best things we can do is to meet them where they're at. So if they're engaged in an activity, rather than saying, hey, come with me, we're going to go do this, just go join them. Just go where they are. You know, Absolutely. Engage in what they're doing. Mm. Take a genuine interest in mm. their interest just for 10 minutes. Ask yep. them questions mm. about what they're doing. Mm. You know, um, I know that I'm guilty of this as well. I'm like, okay, so I've got my 10 minutes. I'm going to ask them about their day at school. And then we're going to go have a snack together. And I have to kind of reframe and be like, hang on, what do they need from me right now? You know what I mean? Because mm. when we go into things with expectations, like this is my list of things I need to do today <laughs> with yep. my child. Yep. Um, I think what's better is to go in without a plan. You know, throw your plan away. Forget about that. and just. Go be silly. Go mm. sit on the floor and copy whatever they're doing. Mm. If they're playing with Lego, yep. play with Lego. If you know, they say, fort, build a fort. they say, um, we mm. don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. Oh, now, I know sometimes in the, in the space of stress and frustration mm. and busyness in our day, it's so hard to just mm. go, I'm just going to be a kid again. I'm going to go and play around with my five-year-old on the floor and play mm. Lego or play hide and go seek and and stuff like that, you know, but isn't it incredible when we do actually force ourselves sometimes to take that time away from what we're doing, Mm. we feel so much better. Play really is something that tames the wild beast in us, isn't it? 
Yes, it's very therapeutic. There has been research that shows that 10 minutes of playing with your child is just as effective as 10 minutes of journaling. And I'm like, that's the best news ever. Very therapeutic. Now, Stephanie, we have covered a lot of ground today. I think uh, one of the things I'm going to do is my listeners or my new group of super dad leaders next week, when we are discussing growth mindset, I'm going to make sure that they listen to this episode, take some notes and we get to discuss it for all the people out there in Facebook land and internet, the internet world. How can they get in touch with you and find out more about what you do? Oh, okay. Well, thank you for asking. So they can definitely check out my website, which is simplykids.live. Um, I have a lot of amazing free resources available, video series, all kinds of stuff, blogs. Um, so that's all available. And then I'm also all over social media. So you can come stalk me, just look up Simply Kids and you'll find countless um, opportunities to work with me and to learn more. Yeah. Well, the reason why we're on this podcast is because I stalked you and loved what I saw. So thank you very much for joining us today on the Super Dad Show. Thank you so much for having me. If you love what you heard and you'd like to support the show, please go to www.patreon.com slash superdadsonline. If you are a dad and you are not part of our closed Facebook group yet, where we continue these deep conversations, go across to Facebook and search for Super Dads Online. You'll hear me on the next episode of the Super Dad Show with our next guest. Thanks for listening.